Hello, everyone. Welcome to another Haas Talks Foss. I'm the Haas, Matt Yankovitz, head of open source strategy at Percona. And I am joined once again by, you know, our old friend from Datastacks, Patrick McFadden. Patrick, welcome to another round of my podcast. Another round. Yeah, here we go. Uh, you really got this Haas does Foss. Like, you, you got that down. That's amazing, Matt. So, I'm well, pretty it's impressed. It's a cool You've title. better at this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's a cool it title. It's a great title. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that's cool. You know, and we want to, you know, I, I've been practicing it for, I think we're at like 78 episodes, 80 episodes, something like that. So, I've had a lot of time and practice on this now. So, um, that's, yeah, that's good. No, it's got a bit of a rhyme, you know. It's like I was kind of bopping my head when you said it. I'm like, it could be like your own rap someday. I'm just thinking, I think you know, so. We're working up towards the Haas Talks Foss rap. Yes. Uh, just expansion yes. possibilities are endless. That's all I got to say. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm, I'm looking at the merch now. Um, you know, T-shirts, you know, right. um, you know, beer cozies. TikTok, Tick, TikTok, TikTok is TikTok. the next step for evolution for the Haas. I, I'm right. absolutely positive on it. You heard it here first. So, <laughs> yes, yes. So, Patrick, Patrick, you are here yeah. um, to chat a little bit about open source, which is what we love to do. We love to talk about open source. Um, we know that Datastax has a brand new offering out there. You have dipped your toe into the streaming space, which is interesting. We have. Yes. Yes. It is very interesting, I think. Um, I mean, it, it, the thing is that when you're talking about data, there's not just one kind of data. There's lots of kinds of data. And um, I, I like to bucket things in data in the data world as streaming, persistence, and analytics. And you know, persistence is – you and I have been playing in the persistence world for a long time. Like store my data and make sure it's still there when I come back. Um, but the streaming aspect is really interesting too, because that's moving data from point A to point B, doing something with that data when it gets there, um, or as, it, as it's moving through the pipeline. Uh, way more interesting, but I think and the reason that Datastax is involved in this is because they're even more interesting when you combine these things. And that's well, the yeah, story. It, it's, it is interesting because when you talk about like data persistence, right? Um, mm -hmm. I've noticed that applications have become way more complicated in that they don't use just a single database. They don't use like a single, you know, uh, service. So sharing data and getting data between multiple persistent data stores, potentially getting data between, you know, different services, different components, all of that leads into this ecosystem. That's kind of a Picasso painting, if you will, when you look at architecture diagrams. Well, and that's the thing that, I mean, you and I, we also spend a good amount of time over in the data and Kubernetes community. And, you know, this is, I think this is paving the way for a whole new generation of thinking around infrastructure, especially data infrastructure. I, I don't think we need new things as much as we need to be able to use the things that we have appropriately in better architectures. I, I do think we're dawning on this age of, the the architecture first and not like reinventing new products and um we will probably see major you know there's always updates that need to be done but you're right it's picasso painting what you know it, what if it was more of a, <laughs> a little more coherent than that like when we're architecting a building for instance um it has multiple things like a wall you know door floors ceilings there's all these components but an architect puts them together in a really cohesive way, makes it look nice, but also functional. This building will not fall down. 
And that I think that's that's the shape of data architecture now. That's where we're at at this point. So one of the things that I've been thinking about quite a bit actually is I think we reached this point where we've got so many options in this space, it's confused things a little bit, right? Um, because, mm. you know, when we talk about like, you know, data persistence, there's, you know, 400 different databases now listed on DB engines. Um, you look at the CNCF landscape, the roadmap, the, the, the map that they have, it's like four pages now. I mean, it's like yeah. so large. Um, and there are so many components that do similar things. It's just that, you know, you know, one uses, you know, um, you know, a REST API, the other one uses its own language, and another one uses something else. And like, it's like the differences tend to be relatively minor. So I'm thinking that we're reaching a point now where either we have to build the tools to help access these seamlessly, or we're going to look at some consolidation in the market, or maybe a little combination of both. Probably both. And, you know, we're, it's interesting because now we're getting in, like when you're building out that open data stack, um, it's not just an open source thing, which is also important, but it's also this open communication. So how we communicate um, the open standards, because you're right, is what if I wanna change a component out? Do I have to re-architect, rebuild my entire application? Or is it just a matter of, I swap this thing out with the same communication protocols, but then it has new features underneath that are different? that give me like, maybe there's a different way it scales. Maybe there's a, um, like a processing framework that's different or how it consumes storage, all those things. But I don't have to rewrite my code. That's so critical. Um, Cause you, you know what happens when, oh, we got to rewrite our code. Well, that's a six month project or more. And yeah. No one wants to do that. Yeah, because I mean, once it's, once it's actually written in the foundations laid, it's really difficult to change, you know, the foundation and then you know change everything above it as well right so it, it's it's probably the most costly thing is that you know design aspect if you don't design it in you don't build the infrastructure up front there's a lot of cascading impact there yeah and that's uh, you know i think that's where i hope that uh services deployed with kubernetes uh, or deployed in the cloud using a service in the cloud you know these are interchangeable now because we have these open standards of communication between them. Um, and, you know, that's, you know, we were talking about like data stacks is doing streaming now, but we're also really strongly supporting uh, Pulsar, uh, Apache Pulsar, which is the underlying, you know, the underlying technology for our streaming. And so thinking in terms of like, yeah, we want to support the open source side of things, which is, we feel is a really great project, but we also want to provide it as a service as well. So giving people choice and, and portability. Yeah. If you're like, yeah, we don't want to rent that from you anymore. We just want to go spin up our own, then sure. So, you know, we, we have to support both of those equally. Yeah. And I mean, the, the, the interesting thing about like the modern ecosystem is it's about choices. You know, not everyone wants to manage their own deployments. Um, and I think more often than not, people are looking for that kind of like, you know, service infrastructure um, to make it easy on their development teams. No. And so, yeah, and there's some things that we we were really, I felt like we made some strong architectural choices on our own 
Um, maybe I, I should talk a little bit about how we got into this. <laughs> yeah, well, so why don't we take a step back and why don't we start yeah. there? That's a, probably a good place to start. So, so Patrick, yeah. let me ask you, how, why, what, what led you to Pulsar? Yeah, exactly. Well, it, it's a funny origin story, Matt. <laughs> Whoa, or, um, okay. Let's get the popcorn story. out. Yeah, let's get the popcorn out. Well, um, you know, it's from my personal journey of, of streaming and, and working with work. I've been working with, uh, you know, the messaging systems for a long time. I mean, this is, these are not new in the industry. Uh, IBM had MQ series and active MQ, um, Microsoft, everybody's had these things. And then we, we made a move towards like, uh, rabbit MQ is really important. Tibco's huge. Uh, now every cloud service has their own messaging. So this is not a new thing at all. Right. Um, and of course, Kafka is the one that's kind of taking all the air out of the room right now. Um, and that was actually my, when I started doing more open source work with uh, messaging platforms and working with Kafka, um, I had done some content on O'Reilly about building like this Apache based stack of doing uh, Spark, Kafka, Cassandra. Uh, you know, I had uh, <laughs> at the time Mesos. <laughs> um, yeah well yeah then, you know <laughs> pour one out for four minutes um but it was you know that tells you how long ago that was but at the time you know it's like clear that you know, were building architectures to do this um when i started running into trouble with kafka and that was what i was working with a lot and working with other teams um there's just things that bothered me about it and they were not getting addressed in the open source community i was trying to work through that and it was like we were trying to force something to happen that Kafka just wasn't ready to do. Um, so in 2018, I met the team at a company called Streamlio, which was uh, just a group of people from Yahoo and Twitter that were, um, they were trying to, this, they, they had this thing called Pulsar. I'd never heard of it. And the thing that struck me immediately was that this was built with, with a different kind of, it's like the next generation. It's like they learned their lessons from the past. And like if Kafka was Hadoop, Pulsar is like Spark. It's like, mm -hmm, you're like, mm -hmm. yeah, that was a really great idea. But here's some things to think about at scale. So the thing that impressed me immediately was Pulsar separated out the compute from the storage really cleanly. So each one scales differently. And it was built on this idea of multi-tenancy and having like microservices in, in place. So you could build out this, you could have these horizontal scalers at different layers with full multi-tenancy. That was the first principle for the system. And it, you know, and this is where we are as an industry is we don't want to just do one. We want to do a thousand or have hundreds of thousands of tenants and a tenant could be a customer. So you know, if you think of like what that means for um, the future of infrastructure, it's, it's a must, you know, and now we're talking about cloud native, everything Pulsar was kind of an OG in that regard. It was building out the cloud native version of messaging at the time. And so th that was, that was the, that first thing. And so I, I just started putting all my energy into working with Pulsar and working with that team quite a bit. And, um, you know, uh, Jonathan Ellis, co-founder at Datastax, he and I spent a lot of time working with Pulsar folks, and uh, we we were both pretty impressed with how it worked. And that's that's really how that was kind of the origin of how Datastax got involved with Pulsar because we knew. And here's the best part: the Pulsar integration with Cassandra seemed like such a great win. It was like one plus one equals three. 
because Cassandra does a lot of things that it can do well. Pulsar does a lot of things that it does well, but when you combine them, they do everything so much better together in a lot of ways. So we can talk about that in a minute. But anyway, that, that's kind of the big, the big picture of how we got to where we are right now. Nah, yeah, and I mean, it, it's interesting because I think this moves us one step closer to, you, you know, you mentioned like the Cassandra plus Pulsar, you know, it, 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 it just makes sense. It's like peanut butter and jelly, right? You know, um, it kind of goes together. I'm seeing more of a shift in people's mentality, especially from the developer spaces. They're looking for that tight integration where they don't have to worry about the compatibility layer and things working together. And so I'm seeing more of an emphasis on, I guess, the, the, the term that I've heard bantied around a little bit is like, you know, uh, developer data platform or data platforms, you know, where it's more components that are kind of designed and built to work together that solve that kind of multi-data use case, right? You know, you mentioned like you've got the analytics side, you've got the, you know, data storage side, you've got the streaming side, you know, uh, some people might have, you know, additional search requirements, right? So there's all these components that they're specialized individual things for that I'll talk a little different, but uh, it makes sense when they can come together and uh, work together as seamlessly as possible. Yeah, it's like buying a device that, that supports Wi-Fi. You know, that, that seems like such a basic thing. But, you know, if let's say that you bought a phone and it only spoke on LTE and some proprietary Apple network, <laughs> you know, it's like, no, but if it does Wi-Fi, okay, great. I can integrate it with all kinds of stuff and um, I can have a Wi-Fi router in here and my phone and my thermometer and all these other things are all you know, using that as a transport. So getting the transport right is really important because then you're not going to have that discussion anymore. You're not going to be like, well, what should we use as a transport? No, you're just using it. Um, you're, you're not you're not making trade-off discussions. And trade-off discussions are some of the hardest ones to have in an application build cycle or an architecture cycle. Because you know that list on the whiteboard, it's like, well, here's all the things we could use. Here's, all, here's the pain we have to go through to use them. <laughs> or here's the downside of using technology X. Just not having that trade-off conversation is such an accelerator for building applications. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, and I think that's that, that's the thing. People are looking for easier to use, faster to deploy, less proprietary knowledge. I don't want to say proprietary knowledge is probably a bad term, but, you know, like like having ha, not having to understand all the details, right, or uh, have deep knowledge of the solutions that they're deploying. Yeah. Well, then, and so like with Pulsar, and that's where Pulsar, I think, was really appealing is that they were you know that everyone that was involved in the project came with a different point of view but was willing to work together so it supports kafka for instance you know it, it can it can speak to the protocol for kafka but there's also connectors in there for things like jms or amqp you know the things that are already out there so like our streaming product uh that you can rent from us um you if you have or if you're on RabbitMQ, you can just move that over and it will it will work if you're using like Tibco or GMS or something like that, you can just move that over. So again, it's it's not like you have to rethink it. It's like using these standard protocols in a way that you already have made the decision to do. The only thing that's different now is you're renting this or you're, you know, you have something that scales much differently 
uh, it deploys in Kubernetes. It's you know it has a whole bunch of new features that again start eliminating the trade-offs. One trade-off is not oh we have to re-architect our application. No, just point it over there. Now you have a completely different scaling system that will work great for you for the next five or ten years that you decide to keep it. So do you think that, so, so as we look at like a Pulsar versus a Kafka, or if you're already running that rabbit, I mean, like obviously the scalability factor is a big play, but are there other potential use cases that are introduced, um, you know, by switching over to Pulsar? Well, I mentioned, uh, I mentioned the whole thing around the multi-tenancy, but the other thing that's really interesting is the multi-data center. Uh, again, mm. You know, in the Kubernetes community, this is just becoming a big deal. It's multi-cluster. Um, how do we, instead of just having one cluster that is an island, we, we, we may have two. <laughs> what if we have three? Um, and Pulsar, and I should mention that Pulsar is uh, actually two things. It's Pulsar is at the top end where the compute is uh, maintained. And then it's another project as Apache Bookkeeper, which is the storage layer. Um, and... It's it, it such great names, and the book, the services that run behind the the Pulsar head is the bookies. <laughs> you know, like people <laughs> taking book bets. Um, so the bookies are manage the replication really well across multiple data centers. So you're already getting this this uh, just a completely different DR stance, DR, or maybe you're distributing your data across multiple regions if you're in one cloud, like Amazon regions, or from two clouds, it's just built in. Um, and it's it's not something you really have to work hard at. It's There's a configuration and it works um, because a Pulsar cluster actually spans multiple regions, just like a Cassandra cluster spans multiple regions. It's topology that we're talking about. And so it changes the way you do your architecture. You're thinking, oh, I have a Pulsar cluster and then I have topologies inside of it. And those topologies are, you know, that, that's when we get into those great discussions about how do we maintain our system, our uptime, our, our SLAs, that sort of thing. Um, if the East Coast has a hurricane or if, uh, you know, somebody drags an anchor through the, <laughs> through the internet cable. In the that never canal. happens. <laughs> yeah. How is that going to, how are we going to be online? Yeah, still there, still good. Um, you know, real world problems, right? <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, no, I mean, I, I think that, you know, that that scalability and that availability is is so critical there. And it, it's interesting because, you know, a lot of the technologies you mentioned, M, you know, like the MQ, you know, type of thinking and, and processing the message bus has been around for 30 years, right? More. Like, you know, yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. like, like it's been around for a, a while and it's that modernization effort, right? It's it's rethinking what we've classically done and putting the modern spin on it. Um, it. You know, it's about building something from the ground up that has the capabilities to do what modern apps need, which is, which is very cool. Um, and it's great that, you know, as a community, you have people who are passionate about, you know, thinking about, you know, how can we do this better, right? How can we make this, you know, solve the issues that are real today um, as opposed to taking your application and having to make it, you know, go back and, you know, use the technology that was standard, you know, five, 10, 20 years ago, um, and potentially, um, limit some of the effectiveness of it. And so that's, that's a really good, yeah. powerful thing. 
Yeah, and I and you mentioned that the, the, you know this the different points of view like it, that is one of the also one of the cool things about Pulsar that I, I'm, I'm impressed by is you know it's an Apache project and Apache really loves the idea of a lot of com- almost competing interests working together for one software project. It's it's this it's an innovation churn because you, you know with open source projects if it's single sourced a lot of times it can get very monotone it's like oh this is only only one point of view but the pulsar project is very healthy in that respect because there's just a lot of different points of view being represented there some of them are like big scalers like tencent you know and um there's multiple companies involved in you know people who are selling it as a service so if you think about deploying if you want to deploy pulsar and kubernetes you are well covered that's i mean our aster streaming is all running on kubernetes so of course you know things that we that we are interested in doing and in adding feature or adding enhancements or fixing bugs in the project or around running it in Kubernetes, like you probably want to. Um, so, I mean, it, you know, a good healthy project like that is worth paying attention to because it's, it is a diversity of thought, which is really important. And, and that is a really cool part of Pulsar right now. Yeah, yeah, no. And I mean, it seems like it has a very vibrant community. It's something that I'm looking forward to, you know, delving a bit deeper into myself, um, you know, because I think that there's a lot of opportunity, especially in, you know, that, um, you know, event-driven model uh, that everybody's looking to, to, to build and how you stream data from multiple locations is a critical component. Oh, and, and the stringing part, that, that's what's really fun. Uh, some of the new things that are happening right now are like, we, we brought this to Astra, which is, uh, you know, our rental, <laughs> as I like to call it, um, is our, as a service. But Cassandra has had the CDC, this uh, change data control. So whenever you commit data into the database, you can emit it. Well, now that we've combined uh, Pulsar and Cassandra, whenever you set data into a table you can have it emit to a pulsar topic so mm-hmm. what's and that's that's building in all these really neat now you have it in this you you know you're putting the data on the bus where's the, what's the destination and uh, we've already seen folks putting it into something like you know redshift or snowflake you know more of the back end operation like the 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 data lakes where here i just want to pour data into this thing for analysis later great we can offer that kind of integration um yeah it's and, it's like know, those, it's like a it's like a live stream etl in that regard right i mean exactly you know, it's the extraction yeah. and you know um which is which is cool um it it solves a lot of challenges there well and i'm i'm excited to see what other projects would you know when you look at the open source ecosystem how is that going to enable better ecosystem integration um, you know, what's next? I mean, of course we have Parquet, which is a, another Apache format from Apache Arrow. Um, so, you know, that's, that's you know, Spark has, uh, their own stream product, Apache Flink. Flink is another Apache project that can, you know, really benefit from this kind of thing. Like Pulsar and Flink are usually used in the same sentence a lot of times. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's a bit of a renaissance in, the Apache ecosystem for a lot of these data products that are out there because it's just solving so many problems still. Yeah. No, it'll be a really interesting space in the next couple of years to see, you know, which projects, you know, solve which use cases, where they become popular, you know, how the features evolve. Um, It should be fun to watch. I'm watching it. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you are. Of course you are. (laughs) Yes. So, so Patrick, 
Um, so here's the fun thing. You might not know this because you haven't been on the podcast since like episode like seven. So it's been a long time. So I have started Ooh. something recently. Okay. And what I have started recently is Matt's random questions that I have no idea what I'm going to ask. I'm just going to ask random questions to get answers from you and see what kind of answers I get. This is like a Rorschach test. Okay, I'm ready. <laughs> yes, it, it totally is. It totally is. Um, although, uh, you know, Patrick and I were talking ahead of time. We share a awesome love of science fiction books. So we've overlapped on several of them. So, um, you know, I, I, I was going to ask, what was the last book that he read? You can say it, but you, you kind of told me, I guess, well, this last book you listened to. Um, yeah, because who, who has time to read anymore? We listen to everything, right? <laughs> so what was the last book that I read? Oh, boy, I have yes. to look and see. Um, it was To Hell and Back, which was the Omega Force last mega force book i think or the next okay to the last. Yeah. yes yes um good science fiction book there um great you know, series from joshua recommended does yeah. and uh he also does the ember wars so in case people are interested in that so what is your favorite movie patrick oh blade runner by far easy yeah okay so did blade runner like the second blade runner destroy the first one I really like the second one. I'm I'm in that camp. Um, so sorry. Yeah. Um, and really? I also liked I also like Revenge of the Sith. I thought that was the one of the best Star Wars movies. So yeah. Really? Oh, it was wow. That was amazing. But uh, yeah, I, I thought 2049 was a pretty good uh, movie, only because I think it it still told the story. Uh, in a way that was compelling and it didn't ruin the first one. I mean, if you, they, two, the two movies stood alone in many ways, but it didn't ruin the story. So the first story held up. Well, I think, I think you know, not, not to do any spoilers, but it, it was just the, the first one left so many open questions. There were so many fan theories and then they tried to like solve a lot of them in the last one, right? And so, I don't know, maybe, maybe for me it was like, I liked not knowing a bit. Right. And, and, you know, some of the. Yeah, the... I, that's true. Yeah. You don't want don't tell me what the answer is. I want to imagine to myself. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, you, you do have two very different, um, you know, movie movies that are made by different people with different visions. And I mean, anybody who's going to try to follow up Ridley Scott is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Ooh, good luck. <laughs> yeah. 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 Definitely. So, so Patrick, if if we're up, you know, we're we're, we're going to go hang out at a conference in the future, and we're going to go out to dinner. What are you going to order? Oh, uh, let's see. What am I going to order? Uh, if I'm on conference, if we're conferencing, um, I try to eat as light as possible because it's really bad. But um, uh, what am I going to order today? I'm going to order. Um, I'm going to order just a, a small piece of steak. I just love my protein. How about that? Is that good? Okay. A small steak, like a petite. A small like eight a ounce. Eight, eight ounce steak. Eight yeah, ounce. Have, okay. Protein is really important when you're on the road. Okay. This well, is a boring you answer. You I know. You probably wanted something really good, like a I, Well, no, I flambe. get people say that they like noodles. They, they would sushi. Like, And I'm asking because people are going to meet you at a conference. They're going to be like, oh, let's go to dinner and chat. And then they're going to, you know, know what to order you. Is, well, is, you there, know, is there a... I, 
Okay, it's the thing around conferencing. I like you, you just tend to eat like crap when you're doing conferences. So I, I you know, try to be very conscientious about that because you do want to just let's go eat like the melted cheese thing or the all you can eat barbecue in Austin or something like that. <laughs> well, yeah, you you almost have to. You're compelled to eat whatever the regional food is, right? Like, like so, so it's thing. like yeah, you know. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, yeah. So anyway, so it's just, you know, yeah, you mentioned Texas. I was in Texas open source summit and it's like, everyone's like, let's go get barbecue. And like you eat barbecue like 17 times in a row. Right. Right. So right, I get right. that. But, but maybe a more important question is what kind of drink should people buy you if they're at the bar talking with you and like, you know, you know, you're, 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 you're talking about Cassandra, Pulsar, Datastax, you know, you're, you're having a good conversation about open source. What's your beverage of choice? Uh, well, it's going to be beer and a very dark beer at that. Um, I'm ah. Irish, so Guinness is always a go-to for me if, if nothing else okay. is available. But I do like variety, so I like to see what a lot of uh, microbrews do with dark, like any dark ale. Uh, nitro yeah, stouts, that kind of thing. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Th those are my favorite as well. I mean, I think uh, you know if I was going to pick one, uh, Black Butte Porter from uh, Deschutes. I like that. Um, so that's, you know, nice. That's a hearty. That's a hearty brew. Yeah, you can put yeah, a fork yeah, in it and yeah. it'll stand up. <laughs> that's 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 the way that it's supposed to be, right? You know, so fun fun side, Matt. I did a meetup at the Guinness Brewery at, at St. Oh. James Gate and because there's a startup incubator. This is I know I did not know this. There's a startup incubator in St. James Gate in Dublin, and. I went there and did a, a talk on, I forget what, probably Cassandra. But I was like, this is the holiest of holy places, and I'm here. <laughs> so, fun fact, you might not know this. Did you ever run into the old Ruby conference called Ruby on Ales? I have heard of it. I never went because I was not a Rails person. But <laughs> ah, okay. Well, so I went. I was actually a speaker a couple of years. It was it was generally in Bend, Oregon, at the Miniman's Brewery, um, oh, and so it was. You would listen to talks and drink all day. It was a weird experience. It's fun, but Ruby on Ales. I don't know if they've done it since like 2016, 2017. It's been a while, um, but it was it was quite the experience. So when you say you did it at a Guinness brewery, I've seen that before. I often wonder why aren't there more kind of like fusion open source conferences, right? Like so, like some some you know heavy metal you know music or something with some you know great you know beer yeah. and open source talks like like we need this i think we need this as as a community we need to do almost like an open source festival vibe i i am a big fan of that because festivals are what it should be we're all celebrating you know we're out there uh, it is a good place to get together um i love that idea uh, you know the monktoberfest uh, you know did you ever go to one of the monktoberfest no 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 um, it was, that was the, so that's a red monk thing. And, um, okay. you know, so <laughs> that whole crew, very beer centric and it was in Portland, Maine. Um, and it was like that kind of, it was a beer festival described. It, it was kind of mixed into a, a conference and like there was an official like beer tasting in the middle of the conference. <laughs> this is great though. Why don't we have that? Like what, where is this? 
Yeah. We need a festival like this. We need the open source music, beer, and, you know, festival, right? The open source Happiness. music and beer festival. Yeah. Yes. Like, lots of happy. That's what we need. Yeah. It's you know like, what? You're, yeah. you're inspiring me. The next conference I have any influence in, I'm going to turn it into a festival and I'm inviting you. That is awesome. I will be there. I will, I will speak and drink. I will drink and speak. I won't sing, but you could potentially ask me to sing, I guess, but you wouldn't want I to. Believe it would ruin the experience. The, remember we talked about but, the rap thing? This might be. Well, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm better at improv, I think, though. Um, you know, you never know, though. So there you go. Slamming, like poetry um, slam. That'd be cool. Oh, Ooh, I've never thought about that, but that's something that I could try, right? So there you yeah. go, Patrick. Look, you're inspiring me again. <laughs> inspired. Um, you know, I'm inspired. Yes, that's what we do here. Is you know, from a from a DevRel perspective, we inspire people, right? You know, that's what we're supposed to do is get people interested and inspired. And I think that a you know music slash open source slash beer fest would inspire people. And I, mean, I don't even know how to I mean, how to like recover from that idea. It's like so great. It's like I I, I can't go anywhere from there. It's like going to be stuck in my head forever. I I, I, right? I would recommend you go back and look at some of the uh, the US Festival. Do you remember that? That was was when he had all his Apple uh, money and he left Apple. He just decided to do like this computer and music festival. Uh, Go look at the mm. US Festival. It was back in the day. I'm kind of old. Yeah, so that's been a while. Like, I just Googled it real quick, and yeah, that's... It was yeah, that's really been... funky. <laughs> it was really funky. We like funky, but though. I feel, like, I feel like that's the roots of what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah like, I mean, it, it would be cool. I, I mean, I'm down for it. So, you know, I, th I think this is going to be the foundation for it. We're going to point back to this podcast episode, and, Remember you that? know, in 10 years, we're going to say the world's largest open source music festival started here it'll be like south like, by southwest yeah. but better yeah well you know yes. south by southwest is not necessarily an open source conference it's a music festival we're an open source conference that happens to have music and beer that's, that's what, what makes it better that's what makes it better so yeah right it's technical In. content it's it's learning and drinking and and partying you know and yeah that Order potentially. It's going to be awesome. I, I swear to God. I swear to God. No commit. I swear to God. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so, uh, Patrick, you know, last question. What is your favorite open source tool at the moment? Like, what are you using more often than not? What are you really getting into? What am I using a lot of right now? Well, I mean, it's. I feel like I use VS Code a lot. Is that considered open source? Probably not. <laughs> yeah, Actually, I, don't, I don't. Lens is the other one that I use a lot now too, um, which is a Kubernetes thing. That's a that's an open source tool, and I believe. Oh my god, am I am I like burying myself with non open source stuff? <gasps> um, no, VS Code is open, but it's not. It's Microsoft open, and uh, but <laughs> well, that's not a bad thing. I mean, not you know, thing, I no. mean. Um, but no, I, I use Lens quite a bit for uh, managing Kubernetes clusters. Um, it's a pretty cool little tool. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And my my all-time favorite is Pandas. I use a lot mm. of Pandas. Okay. Well, there you go. There you go. You could have said anything. There was no right or wrong answer, right? So, you know. Well, I'm just, I'm just cool. going through like, yeah, if I'm, if I'm going to be honest, it's anything that manipulates data. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, VI can manipulate data. Let's see VI. Oh, yeah. yeah, at least you didn't say Emacs. That's all I got to say. <laughs> well, you know, there is some Emacs love out there. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to say that there is. Well, you know, if you like um, using a, an operating system as an editor, that's great. Yeah. Hey, to each his own. To each that's his own. Not judging, just saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, don't judge. Well, Patrick, thank you for hanging out with me, having some fun here. Um, you know, chatting a little bit about Pulsar, some of the things that are going on. Um, you know, if you haven't checked out Datastacks, go ahead and check out Datastacks' new Pulsar offering. Um, you know, check out their you know cloud, their as a service offering that uh, provides oh, yeah, you, you with for both free. Cassandra. You can yeah, sign up yeah, and get it for free. free. We have a free tier forever, which is actually pretty usable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So please. Yeah. And, you know, I think, you know, one of the things that I'm really interested in seeing is how people start to potentially use Pulsar to, you know, um, do almost like a, like a, like that ETL process between multiple databases. Right. So, um, you know, you, you're, you're going to need the same data in Cassandra and Postgres and Mongo and your Snowflake, right. You know, whatever, whatever you're using and how do you make sure that it gets to those places. And I think that, you know, technology like Pulsar can really help. So, so looking forward to that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks, Matt. So, Patrick, thanks again. for hanging out. Yeah. So. This has been fun. I try to make it fun. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I'll see you at yes. the next festival. <laughs> yes. The next festival. All right, everyone. Well, thanks for hanging out today. And if you have questions, feel free to drop them in the chat. Um, you know, put a comment here. I can always relay something to Patrick. And if you want a open source music festival, let us know, because I think we can hook that up. I, I, I'm just envisioning this, you know, um, I'm, I'm thinking of the lineup in my head already. Um, you know, oh, before we go, is there is there like a headliner that you would put on that music festival? Like, like if it was going to be open source, and music who would naturally come as the headlining act oh, I, I think in the spirit of open source we would just let people do you know, like commits into a github repo with their favorite bands and we would just vote on them so i'm not going to say oh and then try and get those people there yeah let's so, get the crowdsourcing going here this is not any you know, like no one person gets to make that decision but this is like a group and we're going to make this together yeah, so you know, um, who was it? Oh, now I forget. Was it Megadeth that the one of the the um, guitarists actually did a whole open source album? Did you know that? It wasn't Metallica. We know that. <laughs> well, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it wasn't Metallica. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could have um, been. It could have been. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, know I think it was something like the God. Now, it, now it's going to drive me nuts. But there is an open source metal album. From someone who uh, lives in uh, the Nordics, so uh, you anyway, need to so, have that person on. That's all I gotta say. I do, right? Like, so yeah, yeah, I do. But um, <laughs> Patrick, again, thank you for coming. I appreciate hanging out today, and um, we will chat with you next time. Great, see you, Matt. Wow, what a great episode that was. We really appreciate you coming and checking it out. We hope that you love open source as much as we do. If you like this video, go ahead and subscribe to us on the YouTube channel. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And of course, tune in to next week's episode. We really appreciate you coming and talking open source with us.